0: Hello and welcome to Chin Chats. Uh, This is episode one. How exciting is that? I am so excited to be starting the show um, with a bang. I'm excited to have um, some old friends of mine from Los Angeles. Um, we met in kind of a bizarre circumstance Uh, we worked in the same mall which is not necessarily how you usually meet people that you talk to for a long time Uh, but we had really great conversations from the get-go and I wanted to share them with the world uh, with you dear listener uh, aka mom Uh, so I'm so excited to welcome to episode one of Chin Chats Lisa and Gina Gomez hello ladies how are you?
1: Good. How about you?
0: I am great. It is so awesome to talk to you and talk with you um, and catch up with you. You know, we caught up a little bit before the show, which was fun. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you and hear a little bit more about uh, the exciting things that you guys are doing, the exciting things that are happening in your life. So first of all, um, why don't you each tell us uh, what what do you do for a day job? What fills most of your time?
1: All right. Well, I guess I'll start. So I'm Lisa. I am a twin sister, and she is sitting right next to me, and uh, her twin sister is Gino, which is me, and um, yeah, so as a day job, we actually work at the Apple store, and it is a very interesting job full (laughs) of so many things, Um, but you know, I mean, I love it. I love talking to customers about Apple devices. Uh, I think they do really great things for the world. I think I really like the company's values a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, So but for the most part, I sell Apple stuff. And I really love talking about it. And yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Gina also works at the Apple store, but she kind of does something a little bit different. I'm a creative, which is a really fancy title. Um, basically, <laughs> I I teach customers on how to use Apple products. So cool. I, te- I could teach them like GarageBand, iMovie, Logic Pro, any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's really cool because I'm kind of a teacher mm-hmm. in a way. I just don't get the cool title of that. But <laughs> I guess I get a cool title creative.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I think if a lot of high school teachers could put creative on their business card instead of teacher, I think they would jump at that opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's pretty (laughs) awesome. So you guys have been working at the Apple store. When I met you, you had been working there already. And that was uh, back in 2014 already. Uh, So how long have you guys been at the Apple store? Why? What drew you to Apple? I mean, Lisa, you mentioned that you love the, the company's values. And obviously, that's important if you've stayed there for so long. But what originally drew you to Apple? Were you just fans of the product? And how long have you been working there?
1: Wow. Um, So it's funny because I had just owned a MacBook computer. This was Mm -hmm. probably back when I was in college. So around, oh man, 2011. Uh, So yeah, I owned a white MacBook and I was using it to edit music videos and different uh, podcasts and videos for Gina and I's band. And yeah, so I really loved it because it allowed me to do that really easily. And then one of my friends in college said, hey, um, Apple is hiring, would you like me to refer you? And I kind of laughed at him because I said, well, honestly, I don't know that much about technology at all. So you, you didn't have an iPhone? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have an iPhone or a smartphone at all. Like I still had like a flip awesome. phone. So I thought to myself, uh, okay, I mean, you can you can refer me if you want, but I doubt I'll get in. And so he referred me. And so I had a whole bunch of interviews and it was it was amazing because – I didn't have to really talk about technology at all, hmm. um, which was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, and and so when I got hired, I was, uh, to be honest, I was kind of shocked because, yeah, like I said, I, I don't have an iPhone and that seems like what a lot of customers obviously are really interested in. And besides my, you know, using GarageBand and iMovie, those were literally the only things that I knew how to do. And so, sorry, that sounds kind of arrogant. Like, yeah, I know how to do those. So so I guess my point is those were the only two things I did on my computer. So if anyone even had a basic, you know, safari or internet question, I didn't know how to answer it. It's so funny. Like, I was doing kind of advanced things, but when it came to the basics, I had no idea. So, yeah, it was a really interesting ride at first because I – had to learn so much so quickly. And all the other people that got hired with me, they knew so much more about everything Apple in general. So I kind of felt like a fish out of water, but pretty soon I think I kind of got, I hope I got the hang of it. My favorite story on my first day, uh, a customer walked in and said, hey, I want to look at the Apple TV. I had no idea what that was. And so we had TVs TV monitors in our store. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's over here. So I walk over to this TV and they're like, that's not the Apple TV. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, yeah, that was, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget when a customer walked in and said, hey, um," back then it was 3G service. They're like, yeah, so I want to activate 3G service on an iPhone. And in my head, I thought, what is that? I don't even know what that is. So, yeah, it was... um, it was a very bumpy ride at first, but eventually I like to think I got the hang of it. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. And Gina, how long after uh, Lisa started there, did you did you sign up for the company?
1: I just remember um, <laughs> graduating college with a theater degree and I was working at a frozen yogurt place. Uh, making minimum wage, and Lisa just got a job at Apple. And I was like, man, like it seems like she loves it. Again, I know nothing about technology either, but the cool thing with Apple is they'd rather hire people based off personality, like if mm. you get along with people. Mm-hmm. So just based off that, I was like, you know what, like sign me up. So it was probably four months after Lisa started working at Apple. And you know, I also had a really hard time adjusting to everything, but it's cool because they really train you. So. That's
0: awesome. And you guys clearly have you must love the product and you must have learned enough because you've been there for for a good amount of time. And that's I think that speaks volumes for a company like that. I'm not personally an Apple user. I have nothing against Apple products. Um, I have an iPad mini that doesn't work really anymore because it's super (laughs) old and and I treated it like a brick. So I threw it around a lot. Um, But people just are drawn to their products. And you clearly are, are testament to how well the company treats their employees, which I think is really great. Lisa, you mentioned something about how you were using your that MacBook in the early days um, to edit music videos, which is one of the really big things I want to talk to you guys about. So you're a band together, which a twin sister band is just cool. I mean, you don't even you could you could be terrible musicians, which you're not, but you could be and your twin sister. So that's awesome. You have that going for you. But tell us a little bit about that. Tell us tell us the origin story of the band. How did you come up with the name? Uh, give us a little bit more about about that. That story.
1: We actually have a crazy origin story. And I know that sounds weird, but I'll I'll let Lisa take this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. so long story short, at least in the beginning part of the story. I was in college, and I was a theater major, and I love theater, but I felt like something was missing, because Gina and I had sung our entire lives, like, at talent shows, at country fairs, at church, like, everywhere that you could sing, we sang, and then in high school, we really delved into musical theater, and we loved it, which led us to major in theater in college, however we're not the best dancers or the best actors. Like, I think mm-hmm. we're better than normal people, but not not at the degree that you have to be to really want to pursue, like, Broadway or national tours. But we can sing that style. We just can't act or dance that style. So when we majored in theater, it wasn't musical theater. It was just a general theater degree. So there wasn't really a lot of performing in that degree. So I was really... I don't know. Obviously, I felt like something was missing. So halfway through school, I think after my sophomore year, I thought, okay, I have to change something. I don't know what it is, but I think I'm going to try. It was crazy. I was going to try to double major in music and theater. Mm. And I tried that for a semester and that did not work out because (laughs) both departments were kind of trying to push me towards them. And the music department was amazing and, and they were really supportive. But... I got cast in a theater production and it was an opera. It was a Gilbert and Sullivan opera.
2: Ooh, which but the one? The
1: music. Um, yeah. Pirates of Penzance. Yes. I was one of the daughters and I loved it. And but the music department said, "Well, that conflicts with one of our recitals." And I said, "Yeah, but I'm in an opera. Like how like can <laughs> I just use that?" And they said, "No." So I was like, "Oh, man, I uh, I guess I'm not going to be a double major anymore, mm. but One of the really cool things that I learned in that music department, I I still minored in music, so I wasn't a double major, but I was a minor, so I took music theory classes and piano classes, and those were so incredible and eye-opening, and they were very difficult for me, because music theory, I think, is almost kind of like using your creative mind and almost like a, a mathematic kind of mind, and I'm not good at math. So when it comes to like counting or anything like that, I'm useless. So it was, it was kind of difficult for me. Um, Everybody else around me were so good at it. and, And it was, at times it was hard for me to kind of not think about that and just kind of focus. Okay, Lisa, you have a piano recital you have to do, just practice, like, don't worry, like what everybody else is doing. But anyway, so I took those classes and I loved them. And then I thought, okay. Besides musical theater, I have always wanted to try to write songs. I've, Gina and I have always written poetry and, and different like short stories our entire lives. So we love writing. So why don't I just combine my love of writing with music? So then I, I tried to start writing songs and I was so bad at it. Like it, it didn't make any sense to me at all. And then I realized because I, I wasn't really thinking about chord progressions like I just thought they had to be very basic and very just you know one four five one or something like that and that that was every song and 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 I tried writing songs just to that and it wasn't working so then of course I just did what everybody else did and started covering songs I didn't post Mm -hmm. these anywhere I just started kind of looking up chord progressions and then yeah so then one day out of nowhere I was in the McDonald's drive-thru on my way home And then this melody just popped into my head. I can't even explain it. Like that never happened before. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I literally raced home and just went straight to my piano. And just the first chord I played, I think it was a B minor, fit the melody that was in my head Hmm. somehow. And then I literally just wrote my first song in like 10 minutes And it was the strangest, I I can't even explain how that happened. But so coincidentally, that day, I also found out that the UCF campus, which was the school that Gina and I went to, had something called America's Next Great Star. It was just kind of like an on-campus kind of talent show. I think like you won money and supposedly if you won, your video performance would be sent to all these agents and stuff. So when Gina got home, I told her, I was like, hey... I just wrote this song we should try out for that on-campus talent show, but together, let's let's be a duo group. And the hmm. thing is, at that point, Gina was kind of not into trying to be a singer again because we've kind of... We've kind of been through a lot of ups and downs when it comes to singing and performing. So by that point in college, Gina was like, no, like that's like my former life. Like she was kind of over dramatic about it. But she was like, I don't <laughs> wanna like sing anymore. Like clearly I'm not good at it. All this, all this like self-doubt. And I was like, okay, here's the thing. Let's just do this thing. Just do it with me, because I don't wanna do it by myself, and you're amazing, and I need you. And just just learn this song with me and we're gonna just go. So we went and we went to the audition and we're literally carrying my piano over like to the middle of like the student union which was like packed and somehow we were able to plug it in and we sang this original song together that we literally just wrote we literally just wrote it was like our first song right and a crowd started forming and it was and the judges that were just there like looked like really surprised and and obviously like we were singing harmony and, and stuff like that but i don't know that was that was an incredible moment and on the form we had to fill out what our band name was and i thought i have no idea but then we're like okay we have to come up with it like like really quickly like i don't know what it is but let's so then we're like okay well we're twins and our zodiac sign is gemini so let's just call ourselves gemini and that's literally how that happened
0: (laughs) that's amazing that's the lightnings that strike at mcdonald's you know you never know (laughs) it's so true (laughs) oh that's amazing so what was what was that kind of um how long ago was that when that first song came out
1: that was 2010.
0: wow that's amazing and you guys you guys have you stopped making music since then or has it just been something that has just kept going with you
1: it's kept going with us i think we moved to los angeles to pursue that, you know, I want to be a singer songwriter in LA dream that I think is kind of uh, fake and not real. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you know, when you're young and naive, okay, no, I don't want to say that. That's pessimistic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's no, a beautiful
0: it's, dream from the outside of LA. <laughs>
1: yes. And, and the thing is, it can still happen. It's just the the road is a lot bumpier than Mm -hmm. i think people think and and it's not instant gratification at all either Mm -hmm. yeah because i i feel like um back in the day people would go perform at certain restaurants or club in la and then there would be an a and r in the audience and -hmm. then if you were good they'd be like yeah 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 let's like sign you let's like give it a shot like write songs whatever you know but obviously in this day and age with like social media that's like the opposite they they rather you have a wide audience than uh, then have talent. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. you can have both. Definitely both um, <laughs> makes better artists. But mm-hmm. honestly, labels and lawyers and managers like would rather you have a bigger social media audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so after that that gig in the college, and and we did really well in that America's Next Great Star thing. I think we got in like second place, which was mm-hmm. insane. Because oh, and that's a whole other story. Because I was I was in. A production of Rent while the audition was going on, and I had to beg well, while, while the performance was while kind. the performance was going on, and I had to beg my director because I was the Joanne understudy, and I was going on that night. But I had to beg mm-hmm. my director, like, listen, during intermission, I have to run over and just perform, like, it's it's on campus, like, please let me do it. I literally had to cry for him to do it. So they literally stopped the show during intermission for like 20 minutes and I ran across campus in my costume, awesome. ran on the stage, performed, <laughs> and then I had to run back and then do Seasons of Love. And uh, that was insane. But anyway, so, so after, awesome. after after that, Gina and I took our band really seriously and within a year it went from us writing one song to us writing probably 12 songs and we performed and we had, then we found a band And we performed all over Orlando, probably in every single bar and club that anyone could think of. And we actually performed at the Florida Music Festival, which in Florida is like a huge, prestigious festival. And we did that within a year. And you have to apply and they choose. Well, I remember it was four months after that America's Next Great Star that we got accepted into the Florida Music Festival. Mm -hmm. And other bands that had been together for 10 years didn't. So hmm. that was that was crazy. And then before we left Orlando, we had like an investor interested in us because they saw us at another talent show. then we had another producer that was interested in us because I forgot where they saw us. Um, but we told all of them like, listen, this sounds great, but we want to move to Los Angeles.
2: Hmm.
1: And they're like, oh, which in hindsight, I'm really glad we did because that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so then we moved to LA and moving across the country, hardly knowing anyone, starting over is a whole different beast that we obviously didn't <laughs> prepare for because how can anyone prepare for that, you know?
2: Right. <laughs> so
1: so I think the first like two and a half years we focused, well, we say we focused on music, but I think the stress of focusing, of trying to focus on music made us not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of it burnt us out
0: mm-hmm. really
1: quickly because you're in a city, and, and I'm sure you know this, you're in a city where... You're surrounded by people actually achieving their dreams
2: mm-hmm. i like
1: i know like you know in florida n- that never happened to anyone because how could that happen in florida unless your dream <laughs> is like working at disney which is actually an amazing dream i love disney but you, you don't really see that in la you can literally be in a coffee shop and one of the baristas is like, oh, yeah, this is my last day because I'm about to star in this TV show. Like it happens <laughs> every single day. It happened mm-hmm. to one of our employees at the Apple store where she was asking us questions of how to promote YouTube videos. And then the next day she was gone because she got hired at BuzzFeed and is now one of her the featured actresses there. And like wow. so being surrounded, constantly surrounded by people actually achieving things kind of makes you kind of doubt yourself and put this really – terrible pressure on yourself Hmm. that you don't need because everyone has a different journey. Everyone's going to make it at different times. But yeah. So unfortunately the first few years in LA were kind of not that productive for us in terms of music because we just, we were so, yeah, stressed out, burnt out. It just, we kind of lost the love of music, which is like the saddest thing that could have ever happened to us because I, I mean, music is everything but Hmm. yeah (laughs) that kind of ended in a little somber
0: yeah it it ends in a down but you guys are making music again so you clearly got out of that slump which is amazing and you know if anybody if anybody is listening to this this in los angeles you know i i experienced burnout too and um it happens you know it's it's a reality and um it happens not just in la not just in new york it happens pretty much anywhere if you Uh, if you don't take time to enjoy the little things in life and don't, don't stop to reflect on, on how great things are, you know, music is great. Um, So if anybody is making music and they're not enjoying it, they're just not perceiving it correctly. In my opinion. Exactly. Um, That's
1: so right. That's so right.
0: It's so easy to get burnt out when it, when it becomes work. But when you realize that, that music is so much more than that and transcends Uh, human working (laughs) it becomes something altogether greater yes um, which i think is important um or if if all of your friends you know do become successful and live their dreams you move to a small town in indiana and start a podcast that's a great idea
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is awesome yeah which is awesome
0: <laughs> thanks um so you you mentioned um this is going to be a rough segue but it's episode one so i hope people forgive us uh you mentioned lisa uh, a while back that you had had been writing poetry um before your band uh formed and before that first uh mcdonald's melody as i'm going to refer to it as uh, struck, <laughs> I uh, love it. uh, uh hit you um And so you guys were writing poetry at an earlier age and you still like to write things that aren't poetry. Um, So I know that there's some, some writing that happens. Tell us about this type of stuff that you guys write now um, and how you got into that type of writing.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah, we started writing poetry. I think gosh, we were like 10. It was crazy. Um, And we loved that. And the good thing with, with living with a twin sister your entire life is, it's almost like having a study partner hmm. always there or, or someone that can critique your work. So Gina and I, that's all we would do is just we would write something and then give it to each other and then tell us, oh, I love this line or I love this line. And it was very encouraging. So I think that kind of helped. But we also started writing uh, stories about properties that existed. So for example, uh, there there was a cartoon called Reboot on Cartoon Network, and we started writing stories about reboot. So it's it's something called fan fiction, where you write stories about things like movies or books or you know TV shows that already exist. So you take characters that already exist and, and you know write whatever you want. So we would write Dragon Ball Z fan fiction and Sailor Moon fan fiction, all these mm-hmm. different animes. And I think anime kind of got us into writing because it those worlds are so complex and the characters are so rich that it kind of made us think, oh, okay, what would happen if this character fought this character? And what if they would go to this part of the world? And so it kind of made us really creative. But I would say um, when we got to LA, when music was, was, you know, a rough, we went through a rough patch there. What really kind of helped us get back into writing is a TV show called Sherlock. And... Yeah, when we watched that TV show, the writing on that show is so brilliant. So it's not only the mysteries, but it's the characters themselves. Like you want to know more about all the characters' personal lives even though the episodes won't ever focus on that, but they're just so they're so brilliant. Sherlock honestly mm. reminds me of an anime in that way. I think that's why we mm. clicked with it so much. Yeah, it's yeah, it's wonderful. So after we saw the first 2 seasons of Sherlock, suddenly it was like our creative spirits were just reborn so we started writing Sherlock inspired songs and that was the first time we had written something since we had moved to LA so that was probably like two years in and we were obsessed with writing like Sherlock songs and all this stuff but we never really thought we could do anything with those songs but we were like who cares like we're inspired and the show is amazing and, and the songs we wrote for Sherlock I think are probably some of my favorite songs that we've written but that also inspired us to kind of want to write something in the Sherlock Holmes world. And hmm. so we always had this idea of the there's a main villain character in Sherlock Holmes called James Moriarty. And he's kind of this ma- like criminal mastermind that controls all of the crime in London. And so we always thought he was like a really interesting character because Sherlock Holmes and James Moriarty are just as smart as one another. But what makes Sherlock a good person and what makes Moriarty a bad person? And, and so anyway, uh, we always had an idea for a novel about this character being the, the villain being the main character of his own story. So fast forward, um, I promise this has to deal with each other. Uh, we, this is probably fast forward a year. We went to London and we went to this museum called the National Gallery and and well we went to London to check out all the Sherlock filming locations because we're dorks yes because it's <laughs> in London and because
0: it's the BBC Sherlock right with Benedict exactly. Cumberbatch
1: yes. yes
0: that that Sherlock. little thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you know that that show that no one knows about
0: right <laughs> um, sure
1: <laughs> so we went to the National Gallery which is this amazing museum and that's also a filming location for Sherlock and I noticed outside there is a picture of Vincent van Gogh's sunflowers. And I literally turned to Gina and I said, oh my God, do they have Vincent van Gogh sunflowers? Because that's my favorite painting and I'm going to cry and I, <laughs> it can't be here. And Gina said, I think so. So we went in, there was a huge line and they had not just one of them, but three of Vincent's sunflower paintings because I believe he painted that specific painting nine times. And this was the first time that three of them were being displayed at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so and oh man. So what looking at those paintings, it it that was another moment where that inspired something that I can't really describe. Like it made me feel alive, like reborn. I know I keep saying those words, but that's how it felt. So we went to the bookstore or the store, the shop, whoa, that was our window, sorry. We went to the (laughs) bookshop and of the museum and there was a book lying on the table, and I'll let Gina talk about this part because she discovered this book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how everything comes together. So Benedict and Andrew Scott, they play Sherlock and Moriarty in the BBC Sherlock. When I picked up this book in the museum, it was this book about Vincent van Gogh and another artist named Paul Gauguin who was kind of like Vincent Van Gogh's like rival and idol and mentor. And on this book cover, there was paintings of Vincent Van Gogh and Paul Gauguin. There's, there's this book about them. And I turned to Lisa and I kind of joked, like, doesn't this look like Benedict Cumberbatch and Andrew Scott, yeah. who plays Sherlock and Moriarty? And I turned the book over and I read the description in the back. And it was this description of the time they spent together um, in France in for nine weeks where they painted some of their greatest masterpieces, but it also ends with Vincent Van Gogh cutting his ear off. Mm. And I turned to Lisa and I'm like, Lisa, why hasn't this been a movie? Like, mm. let's write a movie about this. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, we have no idea how to write a movie. Like what? Like that, that's crazy, you know? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but let's just do it. And I don't know why I said that in hindsight. I just kind of had this feeling it's weird. Yeah,
2: I mm.
1: when she at, when she told me that that we should write a movie, I thought, what? <laughs> I mean, we love so. Okay, let me backtrack a little bit. We love movies, honestly. You know, if that was like if I had to pick something that I think influences even our music more than anything, it's movies. So, and, and the BBC Sherlock is kind of like a movie because every episode's an hour and a half long. So, anyway. I still thought it was weird that Gina said that because we had no, we had never even read a screenplay before Mm -hmm. we had never even attempted at writing one. We, you know, so that, but that idea kind of sparked something in us because we thought to ourselves, well, let's just write a screenplay for fun. Imagining Benedict Cumberbatch as Vincent van Gogh and Andrew Scott as Paul Gauguin. Like that would be so much fun. And we're obsessed with Sherlock. We've seen how they act together. You know, we see what kind of dialogue they like to speak. Let's just kind of write that into a script. So we kind of, we read that book from back to front. I mean, wow, well, from front to back a million <laughs> times and we outlined it. And we always thought, okay, let's, let's write a script based on this book. But then kind of quickly we decided, you know what, no, because this book is essentially like a textbook it has no dialogue it just kind of it, but it's a great book but it it, it just pretty much it's, it's a history textbook mm-hmm. for a film that needs to be different it needs to have <laughs> an actual narrative and a story and, and characters have to want things and they they have to go for what they want and stuff like that so we kind of scrapped our outline of that book and then just kind of started thinking of a story that could have happened. Obviously we're not going to just completely make things up, but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, a movie's, movie's different. So yeah. So long story short, Sherlock really got us back into music and, but it also then brought us into getting an idea for a screenplay. Oh yeah. So anyway, so screenwriting, that was your original question. How we got into that, so because we're obsessed with this Vincent Van Gogh idea, very early on, we kind of decided, okay, but we don't know. Ultimately, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to even approach this or how to go about it. So ironically enough, there was this workshop slash panel that screenwriters were doing on the other side of town and it was about how to adapt a novel into a screenplay. And at that point, we still didn't know if we were going to try to adapt this book, or if we were going to try to do our own thing. So Gina said, okay, we should go. So we went and one of the screenwriters, one of one of them was, his name is Max Landis, which is the son of John Landis, who's done uh, the Thriller music video and mm-hmm. the Blues Brothers movies and all that. So we were talking to him after the panel and he started talking about the script for this movie called victor frankenstein which is kind of like a reimagining of igor and and victor and them creating the monster together kind of like a a buddy movie but set in the frankenstein world and the passion that he had for his script i know like you you always have to love everything that you create you know because if you don't love it no one else will but this was different he he was just so in love with the premise and the idea and that passion got even got me excited so i was like okay on the ride home, I was like, okay, Gina, d- can we find this script anywhere? Because, like, I'm so curious. Like, I want to read it. And Gina's like, yeah, actually, I have it because Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty and Sherlock, is in this movie. So, of course, I have it because I want to see what character he plays. And I said, oh, okay, let me just read it. So the next morning, I probably spent two hours reading this, the entire script. And my mind was blown. It was... Mm-hmm absolutely incredible the movie not so much that's a whole other discussion but the script (laughs) was so amazing like the characters the depth the themes it it was it was incredible and i immediately started looking up where i can start taking screenwriting classes and oh man so after that i started taking screenwriting classes at ucla because they have a really great program for people that don't wanna necessarily get another bachelor's degree, but if you wanna take classes and maybe get a certificate, you can. Mm. So the classes were at night, so that was perfect. I could go to work and then I'd go to class. And so that kind of taught me the structure of how screenplays are, like the basics that I had no idea about. And so yeah, so I took, I believe six classes and in that class, I would show the pages that gene and i wrote for our vincent van gogh script but to be honest it was only it was probably you know probably 15 pages per class because everyone would just try to you know focus on just a specific part of their script so we only we didn't really have that many at first Mm -hmm. we only had like 30 pages so then in order for me to even try to get into an advanced screenwriting class, we had to write a first draft of an entire script. And we had like two weeks to do it. And Ooh. so we kind of procrastinated, kind of procrastinated. And then the night before,
2: Gina <laughs>
1: got really sick, like fever, like coughing nonstop. And I told her, I was like, okay, you know what? No, like your health is not worth it. Like me trying to get into this advanced screenwriting class, like, no way, like, you need to go to the doctor, like, whatever. And then she said, no, we have to do this. And I'll never forget that because she was so sick and she was staying up all night just to write this first draft with me. And it was insane because we wrote, I don't, man, like 80 pages in 24 hours. And it was, and she was sick. I personally remember literally coughing a lung while I'm trying to type (laughs) like that was literally happening. And I felt so bad. And so then, of course, the next morning when I go to submit this first draft to this advanced screenwriting class, they say, oh, we've extended the deadline for another week.
0: And I (laughs) was so upset. (laughs) But, but, But
1: the good part is, is that it actually got us to have a first draft really quickly, which is how first drafts should be like. I don't recommend writing a first draft the night before while (laughs) you're sick. But (laughs) it, it was, it was, yeah. And so from then we wrote another draft and that was a month this time. And then we submitted it to the Academy Nickel Fellowships in Screenwriting, which was very ambitious of us because this screenwriting competition is the most prestigious screenwriting competition in the world, because if you get to the later rounds, members of the academy read these scripts and judge them. Hmm. And essentially what you win, if you're in the top five, which those are the winners, you, you get paid $30,000 to basically write another script. And, wow. and to be honest, if you're in the top five, you immediately get representation from one of the biggest agents in the industry. Hmm. So it was really ambitious of us to try to do that when this was our second draft of our first script ever. Yeah. Um, we're That's like, a good ambition. We're... Yeah. We're like, you know what? Who cares? Like, let's just do it. It's fine. So we were on the train ride to Comic-Con, to San Diego Comic-Con. And, and, and this was all last year. Yeah, this was all last year. This was, so, th- so now this was like probably we've actually been writing the full thing and rewriting it for like – three months and i get this email and it says congratulations you've reached the quarterfinals of the academy of nickel fellowships in screenwriting which hmm. means like the top 350 scripts out of 7,000. Wow. and this is from the world not just like la or anything and we just turned to each other and we thought what hmm. this is this is insane like this, this is crazy. But obviously, you know, after that, we're like, okay, this is the farthest, of course, that we're going to go because there's no way. Um, and ironically, that same day, because we had submitted our script to this, this, there's a thing called the writer's store in Burbank, which you could submit your script and get notes on it. We mm. had done that. And then the person who read it loved it so much that they gave it a double recommend which means that that store would send our log line which is a, a one to two sentence description of our film to thousands of agents across across town hmm. and we were like whoa and so that same day that we found out we were going to that we were in the quarterfinals of the nickel uh screenwriting competition we got an email from an agent who had wanted to have a meeting with us and then for some reason, backed out. Like, he literally said, hey, like, I really liked your script. Like, you guys want to have, like, a meeting over coffee? And we said yes. And, and he he's actually, like, a top agent that we actually knew about. And then literally that day, he emailed us saying, actually, you know what? I'm really busy. I don't really have time to, like, champion you guys right now. Like, you guys are really good writers, but I just – I don't have the time. And – so it was such a crazy up and down thing that the same day we find out that this agent doesn't want to have a meeting with us after all, we find out we're in the top 350 of this prestigious screenwriting competition. So that was mm-hmm. insane. And then, quick side note with that um, that agent <laughs> on social media was like, hey guys, Please email that day. Please email me if you if any of you made it to the quarterfinals of Nickel because I'm reading scripts and I turned to Lisa like, oh, I thought he was too busy to have lunch with us. <laughs> so we literally emailed him back like, okay, cool, that's fine. But also, we just wanted to let you know that we made it to the quarterfinals of Nickel because you're looking for those, right? Like, yeah, we were super sassy. know if we should have done that, but right. <laughs> well, we were pretty upset. <laughs> it was our first experience, so exactly. In hindsight, yeah, we you're, you're green. <laughs> um so yeah then gosh i mean this is just it, it's been such a crazy journey we got farther we got into the semi-finals which is the top 150 scripts and at this mm. point now academy members would read our script and mm. that was insane and there is this screenwriting facebook group that we were a part of and we and you know basically whenever anyone would have some you know minor or big accomplishment you'd post on it and people would congratulate you and all this stuff and so gina and i posted that and there's this one guy that was so jealous which which is so silly but he was so jealous that he literally tried to sabotage gina and i mm. in the sense of he kept trying to find out what our script was about he knew it was about vincent van gogh But he didn't know what it was about. And he kept trying to figure it out. And I'm like, why is he so bent on trying to figure out what our script's about? Long story short, he literally... And we were friends on Facebook. Like, I didn't know him, like, you know, as a person. But, you know, we would message about screenwriting and stuff. He literally went through my Facebook and looked at that book that Gina and I picked up in London all those years before at that National Gallery Museum. (laughs) And he literally emailed... All of these different screenwriting competitions that we had gotten farther than him and told them, hey, they plagiarized this book,
2: Mm. so
1: you need to disqualify them. And that we got an email from the head of the Nickel screenwriting competition being like, hey, we got this email, you know, if you wouldn't mind just telling us what sources you use for the script. And when I got that email, like it was soul crushing because to think that someone is that malicious and that trivial to do something like that. You know, when, when Gina and I made the conscious decision to not do a version of that book years ago, because mm-hmm. I, it's like, I somehow knew that this would happen. It was, it was very strange. So luckily we emailed them and we emailed some other ones saying, Hey, these are all the sources we used. Cause in, in, in those screenwriting competitions, you can submit an original script. It can't be an adaptation. Mm-hmm. So but as long as you use more than one source, it's not an adaptation. And so, you know, we, we sent them the list and they let us, but that was insane. Mm -hmm. Then that guy emailed the publishers of that book in (laughs) London. And they (laughs) sent us an email saying, Hey, so we got an email saying that, you know, you like stole content from my client's book. And I'm like, Oh, this is a nightmare. This is Mm -hmm. a nightmare. So they kept trying to read our script and I kept telling them, listen, If we're doing an adaptation we would tell you we're not doing an adaptation maybe at first you know we we thought it would be but honestly your client's book it doesn't have any dialogue it's not a story it's all facts so we can't we couldn't even do an adaptation even even if we wanted to because this is just history it's not we're making things up like this is our take on it it's completely different than what he said anyway that was insane and then we got an email saying you know, that we didn't get into the finals of Nickel, which, of course, you know, we couldn't really, of course, we couldn't get upset at that because, come on, this is our second draft. But but mm-hmm. after all of those ups and downs, it kind of felt like, you know, the final nail in the coffin. But then, a few weeks later, they said, however, you you did place among the top 50 scripts in this competition, including the top five. Wow. So, yeah and that so that means that academy members also judge our script really highly mm-hmm. and we got an average of around 84 out of 100 or higher or higher um which is insane to think about but
0: and great yeah. ins- great inspiration for you know really first time writing uh to to make it i mean even to make it to the quarterfinals in such a sizable competition is is impressive um, and, and hopefully inspiration more so than than the uh, attack from from anybody <laughs> just knowing that you have you have that creative uh, gene and that creative element within you um, to to do this type of thing so that's that's props to you for that it's a pretty amazing
2: Thanks.
0: thank you um, so you love Sherlock probably more than anybody I know and <laughs> yeah. and that's that's okay because it's it's an amazing show. You're absolutely right on that. I have watched every episode. I won't say how few hours it took me to watch the most recent series of it. Um, <clears throat> let's just say I'm, I'm on summer break, so I don't really have much time to do anything else other than binge watch Netflix. Um, <laughs> but you recently uh, were at an event. Your band played at an event and one of the actors was there. Am I right? Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yes, you are. Yeah. Um, that was the BBC's Sherlocked event, which means it's the official BBC Sherlock convention that Hartswood Films and Showmasters put on. So they do this convention in London, and they primarily only do it in the UK. But they said sometime last year that they were going to have a Los Angeles uh, showing of this convention. And so Gina had the amazing idea of, well, why don't we perform our original Sherlock songs at this convention? And I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's a great idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy, because if you think about all those years ago when we wrote Sherlock songs, we're like, well, this isn't ever gonna be anything, but let's just do it. And it, it felt kind of like a full circle moment. Like, man, even if one of the only big things we do in LA was do this, that's okay because we wrote those Sherlock songs when we were kind of like not loving music so much anymore. It brought us kind of back into it at least a little bit. And now it's definitely like a bucket list item. Like I always pictured like, man, if there's ever an official BBC Sherlock convention, that'd be so cool if we could perform these songs without such like a pipe dream, but now it was actually happening. Hmm. So that was that was amazing. And the thing with this convention, so basically what it means is The creators of the show and then actors and cast and crew would go basically to this convention to have panels, to have signings and autographs and pictures. So if you're a Sherlock fan, it was like heaven because (laughs) it's, it's like everything you could ever want. In the UK, Benedict Cumberbatch actually did go to that one. He wasn't able to go to this one because he's filming the next Avengers movie. Of course, which is totally fine. But, however, the <laughs> what big, an excuse! Yeah, I mean, come on! Like you couldn't take a break from you know being Doctor Strange to come to this little Sherlock convention in Los Angeles. <laughs> but the cool part was Benedict's parents were there, and they're also in the show because mm-hmm. as and they play Sherlock's parents. Um, Mark Gatiss, who plays Mycroft Holmes, and he's a co-creator and writer of the show, and Stephen Moffat, who is obviously very prolific because he wrote for Doctor Who, obviously for all these years, and was a showrunner for that. But he also uh, was there. So those, but the biggest person who Gene and I were the most excited about was Andrew Scott, who plays James Moriarty in Sherlock, and he's our favorite character and he's our favorite actor. We've actually seen every single movie he's been in in the past four years in movie wow. theaters. And, wow. and and that's really impressive because he only does, like, independent Irish films. So <laughs> they play in L.A. for, like, one weekend in, like, the smallest theater. And we had to, like, track it down and, like, make sure, like, our work schedules, like, went along with that. And so, yeah, he's our favorite actor. And he's our biggest inspiration for our Vincent Van Gogh script because he, in our script, in our heads, plays Paul Gauguin, the rival artist to Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. So... we went to the event we kind of had this idea of telling him hey we wrote this script with you in mind would you want to read it because even though he i mean he's not a celebrity but he's still you know especially in the uk he's a pretty well-known actor but he he tends to do more independent film Mm -hmm. so we were kind of like maybe and he does dramas a lot so we thought maybe we could you know we could ask him but obviously we were like terrified because, oh my gosh, like we, we've literally written this script with him in mind. And if he said no or, or, you know, oh, I don't want to play that part or something like that would kind of like destroy us, you know. But we were like, you know what? It's worth a shot. So a few months ago, we actually went to London to see Andrew Scott play Hamlet. And he was absolutely amazing. incredible. It, amazing. We saw him four times and we met him four times after the show. And he's super sweet to his fans. So, like, he wasn't like creeped out or anything because people kept seeing it again and again. And so, bef- the last time we saw Hamlet, we told him, Hey, we're performing at the Sherlock convention in Los Angeles. He's like, Oh, that's so cool. Do you have any Moriarty songs? And we said, Yeah, of course. And he looks mm-hmm. so happy. So, fast forward to the Sherlock convention, we had this kind of dinner reception with him and some of the other people that were there, like some of the other, you know, cast and crew. And so at one point he stopped over at our table and we were talking to him and I literally told him, I'm like, yeah, so my sister and I saw Hamlet and he looked at us and he's like, oh, I remember you. You guys, you guys are the ones that do music, right? And I, I don't even know what my face must have looked like. <laughs> I, think I don't know. I was, I was enraptured. I was so happy and shocked that he remembered us. And so, you know, we started talking more about Sherlock and stuff like that. So basically the whole weekend when we took a picture with him, there was this other kind of meet and greet thing where we got to speak to him with like 10 other people in a room for 45 minutes. That was incredible. We kind of spoke to him about the other independent films that he's done. And he seemed kind of impressed that we had seen all of his work and all this stuff. (laughs) So then the moment of truth, uh, we went to his autograph table. And I told Gina, I'm like, you have to talk to him about our script. Like he, he knows us. He remembers us you know what i mean like hopefully we've built this kind of level of just being not friends obviously but you know just kind of being you know comfortable like speaking to him you have to mention our script i don't care just do it so
2: yeah,
1: yeah so yeah so i'll never forget like walking up there going to the autograph table and i was like i was like shaking and i hopefully he didn't see that or whatever <laughs> um <laughs> so i don't even remember what i said i think it was something like and of course he recognized this and he looked happy about it. He's like, I'm like, Hey, so my sister and I wrote a Vince Gogh biopic. And since it was so crazy and people were trying to hurry me and there's like all these people around me, he's like, what? I'm like, Oh, so uh, my sister and I wrote a Vince Gogh biopic. And like, I had to repeat it. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, and uh, we wrote the role of Paul Gauguin with you in mind. And instantly he was like, Oh, I love Paul Gauguin. Like, I think his art is so interesting. I'm like, okay. It's so like, I couldn't good. really think, right. I'm like, awesome. I, I, I couldn't think. So I think I just kind of cut him off. Cause like, that's too good to be true already, you know? So I was like, um, and agents from like CAA and WME have like requested to read it, which is true. Cause like, since we placed highly in that, I didn't say this part, but since we placed highly in that competition, like that's what happened, you know? So mm-hmm. I was like, so would you be interested in reading it? And he looked so excited and like happy. And he's like, of course, I would absolutely love to read it, send it to my agent. And I was, uh, I think at that point, I just started shaking, like my body (laughs) couldn't like take it anymore. So I tried to act cool. So I pulled my phone out of my pocket. I was like, okay, so like, what's your agent's name? But when I was pulling my phone out of my pocket, since my since I was like shaking, like my phone was shaking. So he was probably like, wow, (laughs) like, why is she like freaking out? Like, we've been talking all weekend. you know? So it's crazy that we have that opportunity and I don't even care what happens. I don't even care if they read it. I don't care if he ever reads it. Like it's crazy that it's all full circle, you know, like Mm -hmm. us starting to watch BBC Sherlock and we started writing BBC Sherlock songs. And because of that, he remembered us from London. And then because of that, that's why we wrote the script. And now he's actually telling me in real life to send it to his agent. Mm -hmm. It, it It was just, I don't know, again, this kind of crazy, amazing moment that I'll never forget and yeah it's not every day you get your favorite actor to agree to send a script you wrote for them to their agent right it's kind of crazy that's, and so, that's so incredible thank you and so that was the screenwriting part of it but the main reason we were excited and we were there for the Sherlock convention was to perform so we performed at the main stage where all the main panels were going on which was amazing um, and we didn't know, but while we were performing, Mark Atis, which plays Mycroft and he's the co-creator of the show was literally backstage hearing mm-hmm. us. And I'm so glad that we didn't know that because I would have been so nervous. And the most ironic part of that is we wrote a song called I've Just Got One, which refers to Sherlock's and John's friendship. Because in the show, Sherlock basically says, I don't have friends, I've just got one. And he says that to John, and it's a really nice moment between them. And so we wrote this song called I've Just Got One, basically saying, you know, I don't have friends, but I've just got one. And it's, so it's literally a line from the show. And it's a line that Mark Atis wrote. So we're singing this song with a line that he wrote and he's listening to it backstage. And of course, we don't know that. So we're performing it. You know, it's it's so much fun. I loved it. The audience was obviously very receptive because they're Sherlock fans, obviously. Mm -hmm. And This was honestly one of the biggest performances we've had since we've started screenwriting. Mm -hmm. Um, Little side note. I'm really glad Lisa and I got into screenwriting because it kind of brought us out of this kind of like fog. That we had living in LA for so long kind of being down on ourselves so I think screenwriting also helped um get our love back for music because since we kind of focus on something else creatively that that pressure of music wasn't there so the two kind of go hand in hand for us now and again like the Sherlock event kind of had to deal with both in a good way so Yeah. yeah I don't know so yeah Mark Gatiss being backstage us singing about a line that he wrote again it's kind of like writing and music together in a way yeah so when we went off stage or we went backstage he's just standing there mm-hmm. and I, I he said something but i did not listen to what he said it, it, he was smiling so i'm assuming it was nice but my face <laughs> like i don't even know what i did um so he walked on stage He he said something i, I wasn't paying attention but then he called Gina and I back on stage and he's like, okay, so we're going to welcome back the very wonderful Gemini. And I, that's when I just, my mind went completely blank. I I was like, Oh my gosh. Like he just called us wonderful. He listened to our music. This is, you know, like those two girls in that small apartment in LA after like watching Sherlock for the first time when we just started writing these songs, like now the co-creator of the show is calling us wonderful after hearing a song inspired by one of the lines he wrote. It was just, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. And so when we walked back on stage and he was walking off stage, I couldn't even look at him because I was like, no, 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 this isn't real. I can't, I can't. So yeah. So then we performed a few more songs and yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, it, It really did kind of remind me why I love music and performing so much. And I think Music obviously is something that brings a lot of people together, and that's definitely what happened with this crowd that watched us. Because you can tell, like when we would sing certain lines from the show or, or references to the show, like people would start laughing or cheering or you know just being happy. And I think, personally, as much as you know, music can be you know like when you're practicing or you're writing or composing, it can be like a, a solitary thing. But then when you're performing, it it just it reminds you that it's about people and it's about community and bringing people together. And I don't know. I loved, I love that. Yeah. Like one of the last songs we had was called fictional and it's about, um, (laughs) being in love with either a fictional character, your favorite celebrity, your favorite actor. And I even joked before we sang it, like, you know, I may or may not have had Benedict in mind when I wrote this, (laughs) (laughs)
2: um, when I started,
1: um, singing the first verse, like people, we're like laughing along with me because they can relate. And hmm. again, it's, it's about that connection. It's about bringing people together. And that's the whole point of music. I feel like it's like hmm. a communal experience. That's so, so great.
0: Yeah. That's so great. And that's, I mean, your story, just, just every element of your story is one of, uh, you know, overcoming burnout and overcoming um, just the work aspect of art um, and really enjoying it and really ap- appreciating it and seeing where, where its value can lie. And I think that's just that's one of the reasons I wanted to really have you guys on the show was because uh, you have such a cool story of the little things that are so inspirational um, and they might seem little to you or little to somebody else, but they're not um, when they are what propels your story, which I just think is absolutely incredible. I have just one last question. So I mentioned earlier that I'm one of my hobbies um, and one of my super nerdy uh, interests is is pens and paper and stuff. So you guys are writing music and you're writing uh, screen. You're doing screenwriting. So do you write it all digitally? Do you use pen and paper combination of both? Oh,
1: man, what a great question. So growing up. Gina and I would write poetry and, and our short stories and our fan fiction on paper and pen. And I feel like there is something to that definitely because you can't really self edit. It's you, you just write what you think. And I think that there's something really valuable about that. And it's mm-hmm. the same way that I feel about like reading books. Like personally, I don't read eBooks. I like the the tangible feel of a book and turning a page and all that. But I think you know, of course, like with computers and and we have them in elementary school and middle school and all of that. Then in college, when we got our own laptops, primarily we do our writing in in a computer. However, Mm -hmm. I feel like someone, I think it was Drew Goddard, I I think. No, Simon Kinberg. He's a screenwriter. He's done like the X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. He says that he writes the first drafts of his scripts primarily on pen and paper. And then when he's entering them into final draft on the computer, that's like a second draft. So mm. the first draft is on. And, and so I thought that was fascinating. So I kind of want to try that. And I tried, uh, so speaking about Apple, see, bringing it full circle, uh, their iPad pros are amazing. Oh man. It seems like I'm like a spokesperson for them now.
2: Uh, their
1: iPad pro is amazing. Cause they have a pencil and, there's an app called Procreate which you can choose different, you know, brushes and all this stuff. And there's a calligraphy. Am I saying that right? Call yeah. Calligraphy. Okay. There's a calligraphy uh, option. So I'm obsessed with how calligraphy looks. So, mm-hmm. I, so when I'm on the floor and I'm just demoing the product, I always go to that. And I just write things, like write words and all this stuff, like on the iPad. And when it's slow, I just do that. And lately I've been doing that like opening it up putting the calligraphy option and then I've been writing like interior which is a screenwriting term like interior Los Angeles Apple store Lisa stands waiting for customers and I so I started like, like <laughs> writing like a script and I'm like wow this is I love the feel of writing like physically writing a script like I think that would be a whole different world than how it is on the computer so I'm really I don't know. I'm really curious to see how that would, that would be like, but if you have any recommendations for like pens that can give me that calligraphy option, then I, I will, I will definitely do that.
0: Oh, I have a, a whole list of recommendations. <laughs> we'll talk after we're done okay. recording. <laughs> okay, that's, um, awesome. that's, that's great. That's, that's great. And I think you should try writing it on pen and paper, but I might be biased. So <laughs> yeah. Um, but what
1: do you, I'm curious, what do you, um, what do you think about that? Yeah, because we when we first started songwriting back in college, like computers didn't blow up, blow up yet. So like we wrote our first few songs on paper mm-hmm. and pen. And I I kind of really prefer that to be. Yeah, real. lyrics. I think someone should definitely write down. Maybe yeah. that's because when we grew up, we wrote poetry like that. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I don't know because lyrics in their core are very simple. Mm -hmm. So they're not run on sentences for the most part. So I think that's very, that's a very cool experience. Just having, you know, like a few words in, in a line, Mm -hmm. not like a full sentence, just a few words. And then you go down and you go to the next, I think. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned a little bit um, about how, when you write, um, it is tactile, but you're also putting it on paper, and and you can't necessarily press backspace and delete it forever. You know, you can you can scratch something out, or you can white out, uh, but when you write it down, you know, if you're writing poetry, or if you're writing anything that might need some editing, you can always look at your old versions uh, right there. Um, whereas when you're typing on a computer, and you press backspace, then it's gone forever. Um and sometimes that's a really good thing, and sometimes I really wish I had that option when I'm writing with pen and paper. Uh, but the the ability to be able to just look back and say, hey, look, that's what I said, and immediately after I wrote it, I thought it was terrible. But now that I, I'm sitting on it for a couple minutes, I, it's actually not bad, and what if I just redid this and redid that? Um, which is one of, one of the few or many benefits of pen and paper. Um, I'm, again, obviously really biased, but... Uh, I I use a computer. I'm I use a computer for most things, and I had, did my my undergraduate degree in music composition. Um, so wrote a lot of music, and I did most of it on the computer um, because I was afraid a large part of writing it on paper. Um, a, it's slower, and B, I didn't want to have the reminder of the terrible things that I tried to do that didn't work. <laughs> so it's all a matter of perspective, really but but i can certainly give you some some good tips and some advice of some yeah. pens and paper that i i would recommend that'll make your handwriting look better and that'll make you happier it's awesome. <laughs> or not Thanks. i don't know but this has been so much fun thank you so much for taking uh some time out of your day to talk to me um no and problem. and Thanks talk to audience. the the wide wide audience of my podcast <laughs> <laughs> um If people are interested in your music or anything about you, is there a place where they can hear your music or get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So also quick side note, what we want to do with our music is kind of bring geeky pop music into the mainstream in the sense of usually when people write geeky music, they make it so specific that people that don't watch that show or movie can, they can't relate to it. We kind of want to do both where like, even if you don't know the show that you could still understand the song, but for the fans that do know the show or movie or whatever it is, they'll like love it that much more. An Um, extra layer. Exactly. So uh, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. YouTube is probably our biggest thing. And we're going to hopefully have a lot more videos and update it regularly. Um, We're called Gemini and we spell it G-E-M-E-N-I. So if you honestly just type in (laughs) Thor's Day, gemini Mm -hmm. on the youtube search bar you'll be able to find our channel and um type in gemini on the facebook search bar you'll be able to find our facebook page and then on twitter it's gemini music um so yeah awesome and And we'll have more social media channels
0: cool and there will be links to all of these things in the show notes um so to make life easier for everybody which is awesome. Uh, if you out there in podcast land want to get a hold of me, I'm at Davy Chin on all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, and Snapchat. Um, and it's D-A-V-Y-C-H-I-N-N. Of course, you can find me and all of the things that I'm into at ChinThings.com. That's C-H-I-N-N, things.com. Um, where you can find the show notes for the show is ChinThings.com slash chats slash one. That's the digit number one. Uh, my thanks again to you, Lisa and Gina, a.k.a. Gemini. Uh, for now, everybody, have a great day.